and maybe coming into this and you never really directly experienced something like I lost my black like me losing my mom you might feel a bit uncomfortable with those conversations um, and I so I think if anything it's actually empowered me to to be more confident about talking about death and dying um, and not not shying away from it So will writing to life insurance, social media plans, putting plans in place for your, um, you know, your, your social accounts or what, basically whatever you need to do. And the idea there is that if that's in place before you die, the chaos I was telling you about is lightened for the family because everything is in one place that they can, can, they can come and find and everything is through one provider so you don't have to deal with about four or five different professionals. If your goal is just, I'm sick of working for, for someone and I wanna do my own thing, but you're kind of blindly doing that path, two months in when the going gets tough, it's gonna to be really hard to, to keep that going. So I think it's a combination of, of being incredibly passionate about what you're doing, but then like you said, now knowing that you can do what you wanna do and achieve it the way you wanna do it. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Sam, a really warm welcome to Purposely Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. You're the founder and CEO of Guardian Angel. What's its purpose? What's its mission? Yeah, well, I guess our, um, our, on, on a short level, our mission is to help people plan for and manage death. Uh, um, and then on, a, I guess, a wider uh, version of that is we're just trying to get the world to feel more empowered about having conversations around death and dying um, and, in essence, putting plans in place in case um, that does happen. Because if you put your plans in place, um, you're actually alleviating um, stress for those who left behind your family. So that's kind of our overarching mission. I read somewhere, death tech for good. Yeah, death tech for good. It was it's interesting. I, I was called... Uh, been calling it death tech for a while and everyone kind of raised their eyebrows about it but it is starting to become a thing and yeah we're on a mission to to make that process easier and and i guess that is good and so tech for good uh death tech for good sounds sounds right and you started as a sort of minimal viable product did you and and you've created this sort of tech solution and it's like a SaaS product well no it's so it started more as a um kind of first product we created is is a SaaS service that is used by funeral directors. That was kind of the initial idea I had around um, bereavement services. Uh, so these are kind of like private groups that family use um, following a death to help them with like communication, organizing tasks, um, things like that. And then it's evolved more now into a consumer facing product as well, um, which helps uh, people that are wanting to prepare for death from a financial, legal uh, and social perspective to put those plans in place. So that's more of a direct-to-consumer product, um, but a big part of our um, business is also um, SaaS for funeral directors. Yeah, because I went on and had a look at the site before we uh, came on the call, and um, it's motivated me to um, go on and do some things I need to do, like create a will and just think about the future a bit more, and, and especially with kids. But yeah, how are you finding it? How's the getting the sort of early stage capital, where are you at in that startup phase? We're in, um, well, we've grown quite rapidly. Um, COVID-19, interestingly, um, I'd say helped us for a, one of the businesses that unfortunately benefited from a, a global pandemic. But we, um, we saw a large increase in the demand for our services, both across the funeral director side, but also um, the direct-to-consumer arm, like you said, writing wills. A lot of people with 
young children and families that realized, well, actually, I don't have anything in place. So that kind of helped us. So that did trigger, we, we saw about demand increase of about four, five hundred percent over that period. Um, and that kind of led us to lead to raise our, our seed investment round. Um, and so across two kind of smaller rounds, we raised uh, 1.6 million and then um, yeah, grew our team out from three to I think we're nearly 14 now, 15. So yeah, really kind of in the, on the upward trajectory, which is exciting uh, and launching you know, more products every day to help people prepare for, for the inevitable. And it was motivated from the experience of losing your mum, that lived experience? Every founder's got their story and unfortunately mine is, is kind of linked to a, a personal event. And I think a lot of founders, you know, their businesses are linked to some sort of um, event that's triggered them to look at something and say, hold on, can I improve this? Can I make it better? And unfortunately mine was linked to, to the death of my mum. So it was a very, a very sudden death. Um, she was uh, involved in a car accident. So what kind of as sudden as you can get. And I had to go through that, you know, at the time I was 27, um, you know, so all my siblings were young. Um, my mum was young, she was only 60. So to say that we're all, she was prepared and we were all ready was, was an, an not correct. And we had to go through that as, you know, outsiders effectively that had never gone through this before. Um, and you, you kind of find out how expensive the process is. It's full of jargon. You don't know what's going on. No one's really guiding you and there's no single point of reference. And that's a really important thing. So, you know, you're, you're speaking to a lawyer, uh, you know, you're an insurance broker and a funeral director all around one one event, which seems a bit kind of fragmented and inefficient. And that's what really triggered my idea to, to kind of help people plan, but also manage the chaos that's left behind if someone isn't prepared and the family doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And one of the elements of it I, I really like was that you could utilize the platform, what you've created to protect yourself from communication at a certain time or even flowers when they come you can your structure when the flowers come was it that kind of experience of feeling run over by the loss of your mum and just having to deal with all the practical things in life and, and that really informed every element of this platform solution yeah you're right i mean it was a, it was an evolution um and interestingly i guess the company's evolved in a similar way to how i had to go through it um so it does very much start with like you said kind of what we class as social things, so like, you know, and, and you get inundated with messages. And they're really lovely, but it's, you know, you get so many, you don't, you don't know how to respond, you don't know if you should respond, you feel guilty if you don't. You can't just send a message to everyone, and if you do, it's on a very public platform, like, you know, say the Facebook or the Instagram. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, me included, so that kind of starts with that. Then you get the support of flowers and, and, and whatnot. And then it very much gets into that financial and legal um, closing accounts, you know, seeing the will, all that kind of stuff. And that that's where I would say um, a lot more of the, the financial burden comes, but also um, the, the confusion. Um, and that's kind of how we evolved now into, I mean, we've just launched a product called Bow, which is effectively a you know, one-stop shop for everything you want to prepare for, for death. So will writing to life insurance, social media plans, putting plans in place for your, um, you know, your, your social accounts or what, basically whatever you need to do. And the idea there is that if that's in place before you die, the chaos I was telling you about is lightened for the family because everything is in one place that they can, can, they can come and find and everything is through one provider so you don't have to deal with about four or five different professionals. And how do you feel about aligning what you do in your mission as a startup entrepreneur with something so personal and, and that memory of your mum? Do you find it difficult when people might, like me ask you those questions? Maybe at first. I, I can't, you know, I think it's, I mean, it's been, it's been a long time since, um, 
So, well, when I say it's been a long time, it hasn't. I mean, I lost mum in 2000, well, end of 2016, 2017. So it feels like a long time. But I, I would say at first it was hard, but now it's become so normal. Um, I mean, to put it into perspective, every one of our corporate presentations from investment right through to uh, funeral directors or um, charities. We deal with a lot of charities in the UK. That starts with our, our, our cause, why we're doing this. Um, and, and it's you know helping people prepare for death by people that have been through those experiences and my experience. And I always talk about it, um, about the death of my mum. So I'd say at first maybe, but now I've become quite detached. And I think that really helps because I try to talk openly about death and really break down people's views on planning and I think it's it's become helpful that I've come from from that place even though obviously it was a difficult thing to go through it's kind of empowered me to to drive the company forward and not not feel awkward about those conversations um, and I feel like if you were maybe coming into this and you never really directly experienced something like I lost my black like me losing my mum you might feel a bit uncomfortable with those conversations um, and I so I think if anything it's actually empowered me to to be more confident about talking about death and dying um, and not not shying away from it. And other family members, how do they feel about your mission? I think it's quite interesting. I think in a, in a way it's something is, is kind of, you know, it was, I mean, everyone's still going through the loss of mum. But I think knowing that something good and kind of with a good purpose um, has come out of it is, is something that they kind of, um, you know, helps them as well. I mean, to, to step back, I mean, we, we founded the company not long ago, really, and we've helped over 100,000 people plan for or manage death. And that's a huge accomplishment from, from one death. And um, I think you don't often step back and look at that and say, okay, wow, look what we've done. But yeah, over 100,000 people have, have benefited from what I've gone through. And unfortunately, that was because of mum died, but, and all my, I think my extended family look at that as a, as a positive outcome from something that was, was, was quite tragic. And what sort of person was your mum? She was interestingly very outgoing. I think you sometimes, after you lose someone, you look back and, and try find, you know, the bits of you in them that, you know, you maybe not have, have noticed. And one thing I always picked up, my dad's an entrepreneur. And I had always assumed my desire to be an entrepreneur was from dad. But you look at my mum, she actually started five companies herself from a fashion label to, to a cafe. You know, nothing taking on the world, but she was very ambitious. I think she did tofu production uh, kits and when she was in London. You know, she was always doing something. Um, and I actually think a lot of my skills have, have come from, from, from my mum's ability to, to do that stuff. And she was also just incredibly loving and giving. Um, I was incredibly lucky, I think, to have someone like that as a mother it makes the process of losing them you know it's a, it's a two-edged sword it makes the process for losing them a lot harder because i was incredibly close with her i i spoke with her nearly every day um you know and and she was always always there for my support and, and kind of encouragement and whilst that's missing now I, I still see her living on through through me and the company so um yeah you're a Kiwi who's now based in London and how's the journey to London happen and, and um, what's that kind of UK part of your life been like? Like I think a lot of Kiwis, the, the OE experience is something um, that you kind of want to do, you want to get your stripes at some point. I was in a, in a job that, um, you know, it was, it was a good job and, and I, I wanted to kind of see that through. So I, I actually came to the UK a little later than, than say a, a lot of other people, but I think it was an inevitable move and my partner, she's British. And so I think the move was, was inevitable. Starting a business here wasn't. Um, so when I originally arrived, 
I had the idea of Guardian Angel, but you know, I'd arrived in in London with no network, no connection to the startup scene at all. Um, so starting a business here seemed like impossible task. And I was actually looking for jobs. And then I was lucky enough to get onto an accelerator, which is um, a program in the UK, which helps you kind of launch and start a business and raise investment, which is is effectively exactly what I needed. And it was a remote uh, program, so I could live in, in Manchester, which was a little cheaper from a, uh, when you've got no no source of income, it helps. So I, I got to really, one, got to see a, a side of, I guess, the UK that a lot of Kiwis don't see, um, but also um, through that program, um, you know, that's where my network started to build. It's expanded a lot since then now, but I would say without that, it would have been harder, but it was, um, it was challenging. But sometimes, again, I still sit back and realize, you know, I'm in London talking to some of the largest venture firms in the country, uh, in the world, and I'm just a, you know, a little guy from, from New Zealand. It is a bit, it is, it is quite a, a stepping stone it's, it's taken me, but um, yeah, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, wonderful. And do you envisage leaving or coming home? And could it travel? Could the business travel? Yeah, I think for travel, definitely. I think when I'm allowed to, to return home or when it's easy for me to return home, I'm, I'm very, I, I haven't been home in four years due to the pandemic, which has made a lot of um, additional stress in my life, probably emotional stress than anything. I, it has enabled me to kind of just focus on, on the business and, and grow along, but I'm missing home. I'm missing the outdoors. I will try to make that an irregular occurrence, um, and, and hopefully one day we can bring Guardian Angel Services down to, to the Southern Hemisphere um, if things all line up. And going back to those early startup days, so you're in Manchester and what, living quite a downbeat flat, like just scraping a living, like harsh early start or to describe it a little bit? Yeah, they give you, they don't give you enough. The accelerators never give you enough to, to kind of live a luxurious life. I think the big misconception a lot of people have is that, you know, startups is, is like this you see on TV shows when a lot of people are kind of whining and dining it out and about, but it's very much not like that. Um, and, um, yeah, I think the first kind of 12 months was tough from a, I mean, I, I managed to rent a lot cheaper than London, as you can probably imagine. The accommodation was probably probably better than you'd get in London for the same cost, but it was nothing, um, nothing you know, too fancy. But the extra money just didn't exist. So there was no money for, for going for traveling and, and going out and having fun. So it was very much a kind of that tight period of time. I think every founder has to go through when they leave their job to start something. And, and that's where I was. Um, and obviously I'd just arrived from overseas, so I had not much to my name once I'd, I'd done all that movement. And how did you get that early supporter, like that person who kind of gave you that initial, was it getting into that accelerator and getting into that group of people and just the network started to build? I think there was two kind of two, kind of two things that I put behind that, sorry. The first is definitely the accelerator. I mean, I, with technology, they always, and these accelerators um, are always saying, you know, you need um, a technical co-founder, you need someone who's a developer to do this stuff. And I, I was a, a single non-technical co-founder, uh, sorry, t- single te- non-technical founder. So I didn't tick a lot of boxes that you, re- you, know, you read on the websites and it says, you know, we suggest you have a co-founder who's a developer and, and things like that. And so I was a bit unsure whether or not I would get into one. And then I remember me emailing the um, the CEO of the program, Tristan, just directly. I'm quite I'm quite a fan of going direct to things. I don't kind of like to go through the the general emails because you get lost in a steam. So I went direct to him and just explained that I'm trying to solve something in the death space. And 
and he replied saying it sounds like an industry that does need disrupting and at that point there wasn't really anyone playing around with as what's becoming the death tech industry it was very very early um, so I'd say him and, 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 and Will and Gabby that team there they took the initial punt on Guardian Angel and that was uh, the first kind of nod um, the second nod was we were at an investor lunch and I was uh, lucky enough to be sat next to who is our lead investor and, and actually on our board now um, Andrew who um, who gave me the first real uh, nod for investment and quite a sizable investment. And that gave me a lot of courage. I mean, you know, getting that first person to say they're willing to back you with a very early product with kind of low traction is kind of gives you that boost. And from there, we were able to, to close our first round of investment and, and kind of it, from there, it's just it kind of expand, expand and expand. But I think it always takes a few people and a few things to get you going. And that those were definitely my two catalysts. Because they say there's lots of good ideas out there, but actually a lot of investors invest in the human being because they see the drive, the commitment. There's you know, no question that you this is a mission-based business, right? And it's linked to your own experience. And, you, and um, yeah, it is a great thing that someone saw that in you. And you talked about kind of naturally being an entrepreneur. Were there signs of that as a child? Yes and no. I think entrepreneurs have a huge amount of, um, I guess, underlying traits. Actually starting the business is, is one of them, but there's many other ones. So, I mean, I had my first job at 13. I was always doing something, um, and not so much for money, just to be busy. I mean, I was, uh, the amount of jobs I've had doing different things, I've always been doing stuff from, you know, cooking barbecues on on, on, on kind of yachts during the America's Cup one year to, to being a barista, to a bartender. You know, I've always been doing something. And then on that, I've always been trying to start businesses. You know, I've, I've, this isn't my first. Um, none, none of it's really led to anything like Guardian Angel, but I think that's that always that kind of trying to do something and that itch to do something. And then I think it was inevitable that I, now I look back, I can't see how I ever ever worked. And I've worked at you know some of the largest companies in the world like IBM, and I look back now and wonder how I ever managed to work in those constructs with the um, once you've once you've been an entrepreneur yourself and running a business. I do wonder how I went through that path, but it was a journey I had to go. And I'm yeah, I, I would always say I've I've been you know entrepreneurial. Just um, this is the first time I've managed to release those skills in my own company. And it's the unemployable, Sam. You, no one could employ you. And I was once told that my, my first investor meeting, one of um, uh, one of the he, he didn't actually invest, but he was a it was a, a prominent angel in London. And I remember I, I was in finance for quite a while before this, and I was talking to him about that and and saying, oh, you know, if this all goes belly up, which is you know which is likely in the startup scene, you've got to have a plan B. You know, I, I think I could go back to finance, and he responded saying, "I think by now you're probably unemployable." And at the time, I actually was—I didn't know what he meant by it. I, I wasn't going to say I was offended, but I was a bit like, "What does he? What does he mean?" And now I know exactly what he means. I think, yeah, an entrepreneur that started a business and kind of growing a team and stuff—I think is very hard for them to go back into into the corporate world. Yeah, and I guess just motivated every day by what you know you want to do and have to do, rather than you know, kind of playing to the tune of a boss or you know a team i guess it's just you got you know what you want trying to do and you don't need other stimulus to to get you motivated and get going yeah you're right and i think that's a really key thing for aspiring entrepreneurs or anyone that's wanting to do their own thing to understand is that if you don't have an underlying like just being your own boss is not ambition enough um, you've got to you've got to really enjoy what you're doing to be your own boss. If your goal is just I'm sick of working for for someone and I want to do my own thing, but you're kind of blindly doing that path. Two months in, when the going gets tough, it's going to be really hard to to keep that going. So I think it's a combination of of being incredibly passionate about what you're doing, but then like you said, 
now knowing that you can do what you want to do and achieve it the way you want to do it so that no one's dampening that passion or that goal or that you know that blind vision you've got um, no one's getting in the path of that and I think that's really important because you're trying to build a you know a large-scale business you've got to be super and blindly ambitious um, which is which helps when you're passionate about what you're doing and your partners obviously really supportive because that kind of to get to where you've got to that needs to happen what does she think of it it's quite interesting it's a, a kind of a funny path we've gone down but um she's actually a venture capitalist now um so she she sees she sees the startup journey from the other side of the table which is um which is venture capital and so she is supportive because um we support each other because you know sometimes she'll talk to me about you know a founder or a company and I can explain, you know, maybe why that happened and why he was answering that way or she was answering that way and vice versa. So it's, it, we kind of, I think that's helpful that we're, we're actually down the same, we're on the same career path, but very different sides of the table, um, but helps. But I would say, um, yeah, there's days where, you know, things happen that it can be the most stressful period of time. Looking back, they're all bumps in the road, but at the time they can sometimes seem inevitable that this is going to end your business um, and that's really stressful especially when you've got staff working for you and I'd say I'm pretty good with managing stress I think if, if you're going to have one trait to be an entrepreneur is definitely be good work on dealing with stress I don't think anyone's good at naturally good at it but work on it and so she definitely has helped me through that um, a lot of those times where I've been really kind of not down and out but very um, stressed She's, she, she does help and, and vice versa I think we're a good we're a good team. How does stress play out for you? I have to be active. So if something's happening, I have to try be coming up with a solution or an answer. So I, I generally, which I think some people don't do, I generally talk to people. People sometimes, I guess, maybe shy of, of talking to an investor or um, an advisor about a problem which may look kind of a fear that they'll look at you and go, well, how did the hell did you let this happen? And they never, they never respond like that. They're in the same boat as you. And, and, and I think the first thing that something, if something stressful or concerning happens, I just reach out to an advisor or an investor and say, hey, look, this is what's happening and talk about it. I think once you start to talk about it, rationalize the stress, the thing that's causing stress, which is generally something business focused and then acting on it, sending out a few emails, stewing over it for, for days um, while you come up with you know actions can can make it worse so I just try to be active proactive about it because otherwise if you're sitting around thinking about it more and more it just stresses you out so I just I am very proactive when it comes to, to anything that could be stressful yeah and best day in the office it's funny you say that because I always think that founders and start founders in particular never really sit back and 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 realize you know what they're achieving or what they're doing and, and then they're moving on to the next goal straight away I'd say the, the best day actually if if I go back was when I got on the accelerator, which is probably before I was even in an office. I just remember that realization where I, was, I they called me up and I assumed it was a rejection call. And then they said, no, well, look, we'd love to bring you on the accelerator. And I just remember being like, this is, you know, kind of, here we go, this is, it's about to happen. And that was probably, looking back was probably the, the, the best day in, in the office for me. I was very, very excited and just couldn't wait to, to actually see if I could turn this into a company. And since then, you know, there's been so many great days. We, we launched Life Insurance just re- recently, um, about two weeks ago, which is a massive achievement to get that across the line. And, you know, the team worked really hard for about 10 months to get it out the door. That was a, a, a great day as well because that was kind of our final product we needed to, to complete the start of, of kind of our product that we wanted to get out to market. And that was a really good, get, good day for me as well to, to kind of sit back and, and you know, see the team all working on them, by themselves on the, on the task without me having to, 
micromanage everything. That was that was quite a quite a cool day as well. Celebrate those days. And for you, in terms of the future of the business, um, and then also you, in terms of potential for children or like family life, what is it? What's the future look like next two or three years for you? Yeah, so I think the next two or few few years is um, for for Guardian Angel. Definitely, we're on on an upward trajectory. I mean, we're growing. Um, you know, we're growing quite aggressively at the moment. Got a lot of interest from outside investors and and corporate ventures as well because we're doing stuff in a very kind of um, stale is probably the no sales probably is the right word. It's very old old industries that haven't changed much. So we're looking to fundraise um, reasonably uh, soon and, and that will be quite a sizable round and then um, just kind of expand our products out. We've got probably the main products we need now from life insurance to bereavement services. So, you know, we can cover that kind of spectrum, which I really wanted to. I didn't want to launch something can leave big gaps in the bereavement process because I think it's really important that if, if our brand is to be the one brand that people can come to death or dying, you know, preparing or, or dealt with, that was really important for me to have that full suite. On a personal one, that's probably a bigger question. I think kids are kind of inevitable in the next few years for me, and and um, that's going to bring a whole whole another series of, of of I guess stresses because you know being a, a startup founder is you know there's a lot of a lot of work you need to do and a lot of stress, and now you've got a, a person you're going to look after, and, and that's probably a little bit daunting for me, but something I'm also excited about as well. Just reflecting back, it's been a heck of a 18 months, isn't it, with COVID and, and trying to you know, grow and scale a business. And you said you're not a technical person, so you're not a tech founder. I, get, I bet you've kind of earned your stripes over the last 18 months. How, how stressful was that dealing with COVID and doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I think I've earned my stripes as well. Um, I, I think I always, you know, you always people ask, what, you know, what advice do you give um, give founders? And I always say it's the resilience to being told no is your number one skill because it will come at you from all angles, from from investors to to your friends and family. And like, oh, I don't really get it. You know, you're so used to getting no's. And being a single non-technical founder was, was definitely gave me those kind of stripes. And I think 18 months COVID, COVID um, I think weirdly it maybe helped that it was so, um, everyone was on Zoom and it was so much more a remote digital world anyway that you could kind of, you know, we we I mean, it's it's if you think about what we what we actually what you know what we achieved. So we went from four people to fourteen. I had never met nearly all of them um, until recently. So we, you know, you're hiring. I raised an investment round from a venture capital firm I'd never met in person. Um, you know, my angels I've never seen. So like, it's it's very. You'd think that would would be more stressful, but if anything, it was kind of. It was made made a maybe a little bit more streamlined. I'm not sure, but yeah, it was. Um, it definitely was a stressful um, period of COVID. But it, as I kind of mentioned, you know, not being able to go home added to it. Not being able to to have a holiday. I think a lot of people are under and haven't had a holiday in a long time. So um, I'm looking forward to to, to a to hopefully a break over over this Christmas New Year period. A good two three weeks with no work. Yeah, and you certainly deserve it. Well, all the best with Guardian Angel and um, it sounds like a fantastic solution to so many issues around that process of death or that experience of death and just all the best with that and I hope you do get home and the New Zealand government can open open those borders at some stage soon. We both hope that. Thank you very much. All right, cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do. 